welcome to Should I Get Bangs. I'm your host, Julia Rossi, and today's guest is just the absolute vibrant host of her podcast. You can do it with Brie Pruitt. She's just so wonderful. It's well, I gave it away already, but who who's on the pod today? It's Brie Pruitt. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I must always speak like an excited second grader. Yes. I mean, there's just you know, so many things to be excited about. Uh, we both we both experienced vaccinated joy around the same time. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. We we incurred. It's so funny because when I spoke to you, I think it was a month ago, we were like, I don't know. Can I get the vaccine? It's all confusing. And now I just like heard on the radio. They're like, does anybody please, please come and get vaccinated? It was like so stressful just a few weeks ago. And it was also something we didn't need to be stressed about except for like our, our own timelines of life. But like, yeah, I mean, it's it's that classic thing of like, you know, the most conscientious people are just taking on more than anyone else is. And like, yeah, yeah now they're now they can't give it away. Well, I hope everybody is you know, takes it from us that it was joyful and fine. I got my second shot. I was out of town visiting family and I got it in a grocery store in between a sunglass stand and uh, cans of White Claw. Ooh. And I, I, it felt very Spuds McKenzie, you know, and I, I just felt very like cool summer, like as I was getting my... <laughs> I know, I feel like they there should be 80s advertising for this vaccine. Like, yeah. It's- it's it's for your summer. It's yeah. for you know you you've been you've been really cool and good. So it's time to take the vaccine and enjoy life. Yeah, I swear this is not a vaccination podcast. Um, I wouldn't even that would I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, it is uh well if you listen to the podcast you know what the podcast is about and I'm so excited to have you Brie because you are you're a comedian you're also a healer a witch a a spiritual woman uh i would say <laughs> yeah and you know for the for the atheist listening you know that thinks that i am unrelatable also been through a lot of therapy which is science's witchcraft in my opinion it is it's all witchcraft isn't yeah. it transformation is witchcraft i'm gonna admit something on the pod which is during the pandemic i became part of two covens <laughs> um and like we use the word loosely. One is a text chain, you know, the other is I do get together on zoom and we do talk about the moon and stuff, but it is funny because I'm in two of them and I don't think they each know about the other. There, there's not really a lot of crossover of, of ladies, but it is funny because I'll look at my calendar and it'll be like coven hang. And I have to be like, Oh, which coven is it? And I'm like, who, what have I turned into? Do you have is one of the co- well, you don't have to out them, but like in my mind, like for me, I want a coven that's very like very into like pagan ritual, knows when all the moons are like they're like fucking almanacs walking around. And then I want the other coven to be just astrology LA girls, you know. Gosh, no, they're all they're all wonderful. And Aww. but but yeah, I mean it's a lot of I just got I've always been into the moon. You know, and and I think this past year, I just had more time to get into it. <laughs> There's this great meme out there that is like, I think it's a, it's like that witch with her tits out, like with arms in the air. And it's like, I am but a humble simp for the moon. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's, it is. I, I, for anyone listening who doesn't know what a coven is, it's just a, it's just a trendy term for a bunch of broads. Sure. Broads trying to manifest and, you know. Well, and then, yeah. And if, and if that feels weird to you, you know, that a bunch of broads are like looking at the moon, know that we bleed out of our bodies according to when the moon, according according to what the moon is doing. So we should be paying attention to the moon for health. Um, And now I'm like heavy into my period tracking app, which is Mm. its own kind of magic. That's like, hmm, you might be feeling a little grouchy today because your hormones are changing. And I'm like, wow, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is. It's literally called the moon cycle. Yeah. I, gosh, I mean, we can get into it if we want. I'm sure some people have turned this off already, but the cool people have stayed. Uh, I, my moon cycle was all over the place because I gave birth uh, 10 months ago and boy, oh boy. Interesting. <laughs> you, it's just, it just, you know, di- other stuff came out of me and things changed and, uh, yeah, it was a real, it's a real war zone for a minute. Um, but, uh, there's the really, healing? the healing, it, it's more than, you know, they say it takes about six weeks to heal if you birth vaginally, but it's, it's more than that because your period is, at least for me, it was super heavy for months afterwards. And it's just so funny because I don't know if you have this feeling about, I've always felt this way about bleeding from my vaginal area. Uh, I I hate it and love it so much. Yeah. Like I, I love it because it actually fe- it feels cleansing. It feels like a release. It feels detoxifying. But then... All the sheets and pants yeah, and the panties, all, the all the paper. I feel so bad about the waste, you know. Um, I do have to say I was on I was on a IUD for like seven years, so no blood for seven years. And wow. then I wanted the blood back. And so now I bleed. <laughs> You're just part of it was Trump. Like I was like, I need the <laughs> blood. I need the the, there's something primal about seeing blood. You know, you're like, I will kill you. You know, <laughs> I could kill. I have killed. I will again. You know, it's like there's something about it that's truly animal. I, you don't have a steak in your mouth right now, but I'm imagining you with a large steak just she, in your mouth. She's fully vegetarian, but <laughs> she will destroy. Um, yeah. I do love those Thinks underwear. They don't sponsor the podcast, but if they want to send me a pair, I'll take them. Have you ever used them? They're no. phenomenal. And all my homegirls are Diva Cups, and I, I can't, get into it. can't get into it. The Thinks underwear, incredible. It's I don't know how it works. Uh, it It's really great. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I really have right. nowhere else to go with this topic. Um, I don't think you came on the show to talk about your period, but no, but on my next podcast called uh, "Talk Me Into or Out of Parenthood," I do want to have you on <laughs> to tell me all about that because I do want to hear all of. Wait, it. is that really a podcast that you're starting? No, but it's something I've thought about because I do love to hear from parents about yeah. where they are at <laughs> because I'm truly on the fence. <laughs> Well, so this is, I'm going to give my friend Catherine a shout out. I don't know if she listens to this podcast, but she used, I used to have a different podcast with my husband yes. called Hopefully We Don't Break Up, uh, where we would interview other couples. And 
toward the end of when we were sort of like knew the show was going to slowly end for whatever reason, our last few episodes happened. They it's, it got more increasingly more about having kids. And I expressed many times that I wasn't sure if I was fit to be a mom, if I was mentally capable, thought I was too fucked up, all this stuff. I was on the fence. And my friend Catherine called me and she was like, you can tell me to fuck off if you want, but I've been listening to you in the podcast. I've been listening to you struggle. And as an old, she was a little bit older than me. She's like, as someone who went through a lot to have my child, because I was also on the fence, uh, just do it. She was like, I, I, she's like, I'm not trying to peer pressure you. She's like, but if your thought is maybe, I'd say it's a yes. And I, and I actually thanked her. I mean, and I'm not saying this advice for anyone listening. There's some people who are on the fence and they know it's a no, but uh, I think about her all the time. And I'm grateful because I, for to think that I was too fucked. The fact that I even thought that I might be too fucked yeah. up to be a parent means that I'm not too fucked up yeah. to be a parent. If that if that's at all your reason. There's all kinds of reasons. Okay. <laughs> I had a, I had an older friend who was who who did almost the same thing but told me what the foster to adoption experience was like and yeah. I was like, "Oh. 9 months baby, you know, sometimes." So yeah, it's very interesting because, um, I, you know, she, I don't think she, I don't think I'm ready quite. But yeah, very interesting. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll do that follow up podcast. OK, <laughs> <laughs> not to totally switch this. Um, well, your I know your story has a lot to do with intuition. Yes. And the moon, maybe. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up? <laughs> So, when I was 26 years old, I had never lived anywhere except for my hometown of Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I was working in a karaoke bar. I had just started doing stand-up, but I didn't really, you know, it was just like something I always wanted to do. So, I had like done it like five times, you know. And a friend of mine was like, we need someone to work at the Texas Shakespeare Festival in a small town in East Texas. So I up and went and I was, I ran the box office for a Shakespeare Festival in Texas. I had never been away from Portland, Oregon. I realized everything about my identity was literally because of where I was from everything. I was like, where do I compost this? And they were like compost. And that, and I was like, and that kept happening all. And I was like, you guys use styrofoam here? And they're like, yeah, it's food, you know? And I was like, what the fuck is life, you know? And I Are you know trying to say that the Portlandia yes. mimic or uh, caricature of Portland is 100% true? It absolutely is. I mean, and also, like, <laughs> they didn't go hard enough. And they don't remember, they don't know what old Portland was like. Old Portland, people were living in crawl spaces, playing the bass and doing heroin. And that's it, you know? Like, it was fucking... Hard drugs, indie rock, dive bars, and a few Nazis, frankly. Like, it was uh -huh. it was nasty, you know? <laughs> it's funny because, like, third wave gentrification in Portland brought people of color into Portland. Um, and it's it was very cool. Like, <laughs> it's very good. Um, anyway, so my entire identity, I was like, who even am I? Like, what am I doing in this sweaty armpit? You know, like it wasn't an armpit. It was, it was, it was so hot though. And it was so humid, which also I was not expecting. In Super, Texas. In Texas. 
uh, this is East Texas in a very small town, very small town. They only had a junior college and a Walmart. Okay. And, and the, and the Shakespeare festival like really took over the town and they did not like that. So when I went to Walmart being, you know, just a, a fat girl in a halter top, they were like, are you a Shakespeare? <laughs> you know? Oh no. It's like, yes, honey, she is. <laughs> so I decided it was the summer solstice. I went on my day off from running the box office to a field I did a Celtic cross tarot spread, which is one, two, three, four, nine card tarot spread. And I said, what the fuck do I want? Nice. And over the course of the following year, 10 years, the universe directed me right to stand up comedy. And it really was the thing that I had done all this creative you know, work. I had done theater. I had done sketch comedy, improv comedy, but I was directed to the thing that like ignited my career, my creativity, my voice. And I think it was a direct result of that solstice ritual. Real, of the tar- But do you do tarot often? And have you ever had an experience like that as well? I do tarot often. Um, I don't normally do the full spread. The full spread is a lot of um, work because you kind of have to write a story Mm because it's a bunch of symbols, you know, that don't mean anything. But in the position, it imbues them with different meanings. So, you know, you've got a cross at the at the center. So it's one card over another card. And it's very obvious. It's like this is the card. That's the that's the um, that's your what you want or or what is desired. And then here's what's obstructing that. Mm. And then around the outside of the cards is like, here are the subliminal factors that could come in that are from this and have come into form. And here are the physical factors. So that's one part of the cross and the other part of the cross. So it's just like, you know, and then for non-witches out there or people who think (laughs) this is a bunch of hogwash, um, you could also, you know, this this could also be a journaling ritual. You know, if you if you you know, it's, it's a moment of reflection to be like, what, what's going on with me? What is the psychological history behind this thing? And what is the physical reality of this thing? And I don't remember the circumstances for this particular spread or what it was directing me to, but I knew that like, huh, okay, well, it sounds like it's already in progress, which I had just started stand up like five months earlier. And I was like, huh, this is already going. And I guess I just jump on the ride. And so what changed after that moment? Well, I mean, my life became full of stand-up comedy, you know? And it 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 wasn't like magic that I invoked this thing. But I believe that it was important for me to find stand-up because it gave me my own dang voice because I'd never been on stage alone before. I had only been on stage in ensembles and something really shifts when you are alone on stage, all the eyes on you waiting for your words and you better fucking say something with teeth and blood, baby (laughs) and beauty and grace. And like, you know, I just, you know, everybody talks about funny first and 
And I, you know, of course, want to get the laugh first. And I hate a, I hate a laugh with a groan. Some people are like, I love a groan. Fuck off, you comedians who love groans. <laughs> weird. Very weird. I love a laugh, but I also want to be artful. I want to be artistic. And that comes from because I had this theater background, this um, performance background. And yeah, stand up just. It culminated everything that I had been working on. So do you feel like you had a voice before then or was it something that because I had actually just in the last episode I had um uh, James who's my brother-in-law who used to be an actor and now he's an educator and he talked about how he and he believes a lot of actors choose that path at least he did personally because he didn't um he wanted to sort of hide from himself and 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 how now that he's an educator, he that is how he found his voice. So I think it's a very relatable notion, whether or not it's entertainment related or not. You know, um, I, I think there's the the notion of finding your voice can be all encompassing of, of many things. So I'm curious if what you were like, like, were you shy before? Were you scared to speak out? Did you, what was it? It's an excellent question. I was an actor from a very small age. She was a little community theater, six-year-old, uh-huh. seven-year-old ki- kiddo, acting, modeling classes. Wow, what a babe. I Having- can't, I, I, no one can see you, but as you were talking, you had your finger pointed into your cheek like Shirley Temple. I'm like, you were a kid actor, no way. I was a, I, was a, I wanted to be a child actor, but I lived in Portland, Oregon, so there weren't a lot of opportunities. I did audition uh-huh. for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, where they were seeking uh-huh. Asian children, and I am part Asian. Um, but there weren't, yeah, there weren't opportunities. And then it was like I got into theater when I was in high school and and then I stuck with it in college. But you don't see yourself on TV. You're not going to be like, I want to be on television, you know, which there are no, there were, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. There are no fat people on television, none, unless mm-hmm. they were like a man and the butt of a joke. So I did not. So I, th- I was like, I'm going to be a stage actor. And I think all that theater training it's not that you don't have a voice, but it's that that's not your job. Your job is to is embodiment of characters mm-hmm. that other people have written. So I was very like I was a very strong performer. I won acting awards. I was playing very old women because I was the fat <laughs> <laughs> the fat teenager um, and they don't make fat ingenues. But I was also in education. So I was also educating ch- kids and teens about improv. I did improv and sketch comedy and in Portland. But when I became a stand-up, then I had to, I, I, you start saying shit and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound right. That's not what I'm trying to say out in this world, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but for me, I had to like kind of try it out. You know, you kind of got to get the mic in your hand and say some untrue shit before you realize that's not true. That's not my truth. And, you know, really kind of got to the guts of who I am. Yeah. Yeah, it is like a, I mean, you know, they always say it's sort of like the most, well, honesty is funny. I mean, that's, at least that's what I think. It, it's not necessarily always laugh out loud funny, um, which, you know, you were saying earlier, you're like, I love laughs, but what I liked is, you know, to speak my truth, but like, I'm the same way. And then I've definitely had to remind myself at times that uh, stand-up comedy is a service job in many ways. And it's a realization I had this past year in, in not doing it as much is, you know, you're out at night 
and your job is, is at least when you're like traveling on the road and you're like booked to headline and you're not getting booked to headline because it's you. They just need like a woman that weekend, you know, like those gigs that I feel like is not always the place where I enjoy that you know, experience of, I try to be my honest self, but I've had to step back and be like, why do I sometimes hate those gigs or not sometimes always it's because you're there just like the cocktail waitress is there. You're doing service. Yeah. You know, you start editing. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're set to be, yeah. For me, like I try to depoliticize all the jokes that I can and like even take out language that I don't believe is political. Like the word feminist is, I guess it is, it's socially political. Um, but like, I'll just take it out and I'll just be like, I'm very pro woman. And then everyone is, They're no one is triggered, you know, <laughs> and I'm making an assumption about those people. They might not be triggered by the word feminist, but also I know where I'm fucking from. As I said, it's a whimsical, stupid place where, you know, we we protest at the drop of a hat. So, you you know, I am like overly, I use overly, quote, PC language. And I just try to try to normalize a little bit when I explore the rest of the country. Can, can we go back yeah. to talking a little bit about the fat on TV thing? Just yeah. because I think it's so important and also interesting um, because I do feel like you know, in the last few years, I don't know, it's been really interesting because I do feel like finally in the last few years, the diversity on television, and I don't just mean like black and white diversity, I think diversity. A lot of people, yeah. but everything diversity. Yeah. Like, um, I do hope age is the next thing that gets more diverse because uh, oh, I'm I getting mean, older. It is uh, happening a little. I, I do think yeah. that. Yeah. But body diversity. So about, I think it was eight years ago, a friend of mine who is an agent uh, told me in confidence that a manager who she had like nonchalantly mentioned me to said, and I quote, uh, I, I only rep female comedians that are super skinny and hot so they can play the hot roles or super overweight. I don't know what to do with anyone in between. And I would, and it was like a gut punch, you yeah. know, cause I fall in the in between. Yeah. Um, and, and I think about it all the time because now I look at television and I feel like that is not true at all. So I, I don't know. I was just curious about your thoughts on like how you feel like it is now. And if it I totally that was a manager who said that it was a manager. Yeah, I have to that. say, I totally get why they would say that. And yeah. it's because of both how bodies have been marketed within comedy, like women's bodies. Um, and also because of how audiences, you know, there's a major misogyny problem in comedy, right? So that's why, and it's something that I only started really realizing when you start looking at sort of the, the women who break through a lot of times are not super femme, right? You know, and I think that is part of the misogyny problem. And then also we don't have a lot of, um, gay male femmes, uh, cisgendered male femmes who who break through. And I just don't think anyone sees comedy because of its roots as something for like femme women. Um, Although, well, what, what do you mean by femme? Because I do feel like in, again, in the last few years, because I remember 10 years ago, a female comic saying, and again, and I quote, um, she had cut her hair short 
and she had started wearing more hoodies because she wanted to be taken more seriously. And it like broke my heart. Yeah. And now I feel like I am seeing women wear dresses more if they want to and tr- and be sexy if they want to. And so is that what you mean by yeah. femme or, okay. It is. Yeah. I think it's like feminine presenting. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean to appropriate the language. I believe like I, I'm a, I'm straight cisgendered woman. I think femme is like a way that people who um, are not female cisgendered uh, or and heterosexual use to describe femininity. Um, but I'm using it specifically because there are not that many feminine presenting people in comedy. So I think mm. referring to us as femmes makes sense um, because it is uh, it has been uh, what's the words um, a bit um, controversial, you know, but I do yeah. agree that it is totally changing. I even was thinking about someone like Beth Stelling, who is um, cis female heterosexual and wearing like overalls in her special um her her recent comedy special and she doesn't over she does she doesn't have to feel like she is selling her femininity to me it seems like it's it's a very laid back um presentation gender presentation like she's not having to sell that she's feminine she is a comedian and she's talking about her heterosexuality in her set but it's not um the the way it's presented it's exciting seems like progress. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or this pandemic or I don't know. I just like don't give a shit anymore. (laughs) I I mean, I do like I still get hurt and frustrated. But when I think about the stuff that used to like make me so mad and try to change who I was you know, in life, especially in this business, but like in life, I'm just like, I don't know if you want to fucking wear a dress, wear a dress. If you want to be fat, be fat. If you want to be skinny, be skinny. I mean, I don't know if those, I I don't know if like, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm sure somebody can find a problem with what I just said. I don't know how to talk anymore. I I just, I think it's something that comes up as we go through our career, right? And it'll come up. So like an yeah. example is you're dressing up for the show in Indianapolis and you're like, what do I wear? Well, these people think a comedian wears a suit. These people yeah. who think that stand-up comedy is something to go with their beer and chicken fingers don't know who you are. They know what a comedian looks like. And it looks like fucking Steve Martin wearing a suit. You know, yeah. Who was I just talking to? That someone talking to somebody on the plane and was like, "I am a stand-up com- comedian." They were like, "Oh, like Bill Cosby." Like that's the point of reference for a lot of people is like a seventies era comedian. So, well, no, no one cares about stand-ups. I mean, let's right? really, no. except for stand-ups, nobody but cares. <laughs> any man could walk into a club in Indianapolis and put on a suit, and everyone would have this expectation of like, "That's a yeah. comedian." But you have to be thoughtful about what you wear. You can't make a fashion choice in Indianapolis. It's well, you can. You're beautiful and amazing. I feel like <laughs> I couldn't do that. I stop. I'm gonna stop projecting. I feel like I couldn't do that. I'm very conscientious about what I wear on stage in spaces where I am trying to communicate that I'm a confident stand-up comedian. You don't have to be worried in my abilities to make you laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I will win them over no matter what I'm wearing, you know, but it's nice not to have to fight 
some idea that they get by just looking at me. And for a fat woman, I think like any kind of print, they're going to be like, get this, get my aunt off the stage, right? Or any kind of, um, oh, or anything that's, that's, overly masculine, I think I read to people as gay because there has been like such a legacy of gay, of more um, mask presenting gay cisgendered women comedians. You know what I mean? The Ellens, mm-hmm. the Wandas, the Rosies, the the standard comedians who have really risen um, the ranks in that, you know, Jerry Seinfeld era were, you know, often more, more mask presenting. Um, and the, and the super femme ones are, you know, maybe not as remembered. Your boozlers, your, <laughs> your, hmm, who, who's the, who's the one with like, oh, your Judy Tenuta's very femme. Yeah. Now, do you, so, okay, so yeah. to go back to the field yes. with the, the yes. cross, so how, so, you know, obviously your life changed then, you had this breakthrough to to pursue your voice. So other than, you know, career-wise, how did your life change because of that choice to then pursue something different? I think getting back to your, like, your or- original question of the show is like, should I get bangs is like, I went to Texas and that was cutting bangs. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? It was wild. I'll tell you what. Um, I also had this experience of like, was we were living at this, um, this community college campus and I was in a dorm room. So it was like very, and I had never had that experience because I went to like, um, I just lived on an apartment during college and the, the the football players were also in the dorm rooms. So I was like talking to these insanely hot 20-year-old <laughs> football players, and I'm 26. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. And they, and probably, you know, whatever, but like at a, one of my highest weights, you know, um, higher weights, you know, I was, I was pushing two and a half bills um, probably. And these football players talk, to me, honey, because a country girl pushing two and a half bills, not a problem at all. Just a sturdy, <laughs> just a sturdy girl to, you know, to make it through those cold Texas nights. So I, I was, it was also this huge change in like what beauty standards are that I had located mm-hmm. all my beauty standards in Portland, Oregon, which is again, an overwhelmingly white place and white European beauty standards are, you know, promoting of thin bodies and, you know, it really always made me feel like a fucking monster. Also, I'm mixed race. And so being in Texas, like there was there's just a little bit more diversity, racial diversity. Um, really, even in the small town. Yeah. I mean, you know, Portland is is um, a really white space, but also like the the state was built by the KKK. So it specifically, you know, was very Portland ex- or Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, Oregon. Okay. Was. So very. um you know, very rough. And there aren't a lot of black people that live in Oregon, I think, as a result of that, like very early, um, you know, decision by the founders of that state. Um, So yeah, just like a lot more diversity in Texas than than the Pacific Northwest, for sure. Also, the 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 flirting with younger lads, you know, it is when I, I got, uh, I went through like a I got divorced and then I had a following breakup and I, I had my first sort of single 
real hardcore single time of my life at 35. Oh. And I got to say the interactions just kept getting like when I, when I like first it was like a 32 year old and I was like, my, my, like 35, 32. And then it like went like it dipped to 30 and then it was like a 27 year old. And then when I got down to 23, I was oh. like, Oh, like I, you know, I don't know. It's, well, there's, their semen keeps us young and beautiful. Um, it, it, yeah. It- <laughs> that's what we talk about in my coven's group chat. Yeah. Okay. We're like the facial honey. Um, I know. I used to try to do this joke about how, I don't know. I, this isn't even the joke, this, but I do. I, I've always, as far as career girl goals go, I, I, from the bottom of my heart, I will, if I could just once, I want to play like a horny, inappropriate aunt at the pool party that, you know, walks in, it's not warm enough to go in the pool, but I've decided, <laughs> you know, I'm going in the pool and I'm like, hello boys, who wants to take a dip? Because it, it is appropriate for a woman to say that to younger men. If a, yeah. if an older guy says it's younger women, it's terrible. But um, in my world, no. Uh, we don't sexualize younger men. We sexualize younger women. So it's, there's yeah, nothing and wrong. It, yeah. it, and they're all over 20. Yes, of course. Gross. 21. Even. I mean, um, the, the gag is like they're all bad at sex and stupid and like need to go to therapy. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, that's fine. You Can I tell my joke that I would always tell to audiences oh, yeah, yeah. about my younger boy, boyfriend? I'd be like, hey, I'm dating someone younger. He's not here tonight. Um, he has a big math test tomorrow. That was my joke. <laughs> <laughs> I miss telling jokes on stage. I don't uh, know how I feel. Have you have you done it yet since the pandemic? Has- no, no. I've got my first dates in June. Uh-huh. And I'm performing with a comedian who is very um like very pro-vaccine and pro masks and stuff. And the club is is totally distanced and masked. So I am gonna give it a shot. And do you feel any anxiety about having not done it in so long and and going back to it? Oh, and... not about the performing. No. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. That's great. Oh, it's also not a stand up show. It's a live podcast. Now that I'm thinking of it, but also I'm oh. not, I'm not scared to perform stand up. I do have stand up dates in August in Portland because I have a feeling conditions may be better in Portland than L A. at in late summer. But I'm yeah, and also yeah. I fully will cancel if I. <laughs> If I feel like it's necessary for safety. Yeah, I have a outdoor show next Friday. I already told the booker I might just weep (laughs) on stage. She said, as long as I weep into the mic, (laughs) then it's all good. Uh, My whole thing is, and I've talked about this so many times on this podcast. I'm so sorry for anyone listening. It's like, Julia, just fucking call your therapist and go back to therapy. But I, um, I don't want to go out at night. Yeah. It is always, I've always struggled Julia, with the nighttime aspect. Let's start a daytime show. Yeah. We'll talk about it off pod. This is a good uh, idea. I've, I love brunch comedy and I used to run a brunch show in Portland and it was fabulous. All right. Pinning it off the pod. I will text you. <laughs> Pin. I just, you know, I, I had this thought the other day of like, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but it is insane that we're expected to be funny in the evening. I am tired at night. During the day, you take me to Target. Everybody's Cutting laughing. Up. Oh my oh, God. I am, you know, asking Killing in where, housewares. Where are the spoons? 
kids are, you know, making jokes about my dad, you know, this is an aisle seven. I mean, this is the, the male privilege in comedy. What you guys can just go tromping around the streets of New York at three in the morning and, yeah. and feel safe and comfortable to do that. You know, uh, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place, but I, I, I was writing little tiny notes in a tiny post-it and, um, uh, cause I thought this was important to say, I feel like I'm sharing all these things that I learned recently, but, um, so, you know, you're talking about the, the body size yes. and, um, and the, the racism and all that stuff. And I feel like such a fool, but I only recently learned how rooted in racism uh, fat phobia is. Yeah. I, I do not have the sufficient language to, yes. to like express my gratitude to black women for basically changing the dialogue about bodies. I mean, I probably, you know, I, I think unfortunately <clears throat> there was a lot of like, um, Kardashianing of, of, <laughs> of bodies, of body types um, that kind of brought, um, you know, different body types to be like normalized. Um, and that's like basically through appropriation. And um, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I learned I was reading really early because of Portland's amazing feminist bookstores. <laughs> about <laughs> lookism and um that's what, kind of what it was called before we called them beauty standards um but yeah i was reading like feminist literature when i was a teenager still very sad about being fat and like also not as fat as i felt because that's how body dysmorphia works and maybe not having Ugh. any resources at home to um make me feel valued for my brain and voice um but but knowing that like i'm not bad this this is bad and but not knowing that i was in a vacuum not knowing that i was in portland oregon a vacuum the media i mean fucking late 90s early aughts media i mean think of the britney the christina of it all it was the low rise jeans i mean fucking i i can't believe Who i didn't kill myself i cannot believe invented low rise i have to say the greatest thing that has occurred to me in the last few years has been not your baby, not, not just high-waisted pants. I'm not even going to stop at just high-waisted pants, okay. high-waisted elastic waist pants that you put over the parts that need to be put over because why would you hurt yourself? Gently cradled, you know, gently cradled, like the beautiful curve that it is and jumpsuits. I mean, thank Moomoo's caftans. Uh, I'm talking flowy flow flows. All the things. Flowy flow you know, flows. Flowy flow flows. They don't, the flowy flow flows don't look as good on stage. But I'm, but I gotta be honest, I might be at the point in my life where I start showing up to comedy shows in a full on, you know, house coat. Uh, and just really. I love that for you. Let, letting it hang on. You know, I, I could feel. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, you didn't. Go, go for it. I still feel that I 
I what I am realizing about my everybody's making these like fashion in the pandemic revelations. Uh-huh. And I don't you can't see what I'm wearing right now, but I have I basically wear a black crop top and leggings and black leggings every day. I I dress like a dancer. I dress like Bob fucking Fosse. And mm. I am not a dancer. I am a person who barely moves, but I wish to I wish to dance uh, to dress like like a dancer or a yoga instructor all the time. Yeah. And I don't know why this is, but I think it's, it's interesting. Comfortable. Yeah. It's comfortable and it like I think the wonderful thing about dance wear and yoga wear cuz yeah. I purchased a lot of leotards in the past few years like like long one yeah. piece leotards. They just it's the same reason why I got back into um one piece bathing suits cuz I used to think that I was supposed to wear bikinis cuz I thought they flattered you more. I love the way the that lines. Yeah. the lines that it all hugs all the pieces and it it just sort of like cuz like the the low cut jeans and and certain bras and then when they like segment yeah segments the body it and I'm not I'm not into it uh personally and I I love what you said that feeling oh you said you were wait I don't I want to make sure I quote you correctly that you weren't as fat as you felt the whole body yes. dysmorphia yeah thing. the body dysmorphia I think one of the saddest things and I I, I don't want to make the assumption that all women can relate but you can well, make that assumption. Th- Almost everyone can. And most men. <laughs> yeah. I, and not just about bodies, about appearance in general. The amount of times where I will go back and look at old photos of myself. And, and I'm talking about starting, you know, from being a teenager up until, you know, last year, let's say, or a couple of years ago. I'll see a photo of myself and I'll remember hating the photo at the time it was taken because I thought I looked ugly or fat or this or that, or I look like a man or I look, you know, whatever it is. And, and then now looking at the photo and being like, I'm so cute and like feeling so bad that in that moment I didn't appreciate it. And, and I think it's so common. Like I remember in college feeling just like, not like first year of college and end of high school. I was just like, oh, like no one, no boys like me. So I guess that must mean I'm this like ugly beast. And it's like, I look back and again, not that it, but like, and maybe I'm looking at my spirit. I don't know what I'm looking at, sure. but I'm like, what the fuck am I talking about? I had the cutest, I've always had the cutest style. I feel very comfortable saying that. Yeah. I was this like little Italian meatball, just sort of like, I don't know, like what was, and and the sad thing is, is maybe there were, and not not that people liking you is what should give you value. That's like the huge problem to begin with. But like, then I think back to, I'm like, actually there were people that liked me. It's just that they were nice. And I didn't want nice people to like me. I wanted people who ignored me to like me because that's what you're fucking trained. Like what a mind fuck. Yeah. I have experiences. I, you just made me think of like, I had these these experiences of getting my fo- photo taken when I was like a senior in high school. She's fat. She's unappreciated by all the men around her who treat her like just a brick wall. I mean, I had a lot of male friends and they d- did not. They looked at me like I was a fucking just a plate of peas. There was no interest at all, you know, but 
I look at those pictures and I was like, man, I even at the time I was like, I'm very pretty. My face, I'm such a pretty girl. Like what it, it didn't feel just at the moment. And also like, I'm so loving and I have so much love to give that romantically it was, it was fucked up. You know, I was, yeah. The loneliness of, of being fat in 1999. <laughs> so painful, so bad. And like, that's, that's the thing. It's that to, to bring it to the, to the moment is that fucking I had a lot to say about all of this. I mean, here I am yeah. saying it to you that this was all on my in the in my brainstem cooking up good, you know, cooking like a fucking bull in yese, you know, I was <laughs> uh, it's offensive when oh, someone no. else says that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I did take, did you know I took a couple of years of Italian in college? Oh, then it's fine. Thank then it's fine. You. Yeah, okay. Faccio de Bolognese. That's the only verb I remember. Um, but yeah, I I feel like all of this stuff was cooking. I knew that I had a lot to say because I'm a mouthy girl, you know, like that's kind of always been true. But it wasn't a part of my performance, my, you know, because when you do write stand up, there's sort of a formalization about what you believe. And it's sort of this personal essay, you know, suddenly, mm-hmm. and I I was able to kind of dial it in. And now and then and then also from there, talk about voice. I was offered a radio show. I was offered a column in the Portland Mercury newspaper. So I had a, a sex and dating relationship column. Ooh, that's so fun. I was like, I had nothing but platforms to like figure out who the fuck I am and what the fuck I have to say. And that was it, baby. It was it was just that tiny shift from being a performer to a author, you know, to a Mm. writer, to an author, to a, you know, to a truth teller. So when you said, um, you know, you said when you went to Texas initially and it was sort of your cutting bangs moment and it was positive thing because you were sort of you felt like appreciated physically and it was pretty rough too but yeah it was a positive thing but you know and there was more diversity and whatnot so do you think being so you're saying sort of being around that combined with like that was what pushed you to make a change was that you wanted more of that kind of in your life or you got to see yourself different like what was it Because it sounds like it was a positive thing being in Texas. It was one of those things where it was like, this fucking sucks. And in retrospect, it was just what I needed because it made my world bigger. That was the biggest thing. I was like, holy shit. I kind of just, I don't know what I thought even, you know, I had not really traveled much, um, but I kind of thought just like, I don't know, Portland is just like a a kind of a smaller city. I just kind of thought it was all like that. I had no idea. What a dummy. Um, and that no, was in my, I, and also because I, I was so mentally ill. I was really depressed. <laughs> when you went to Texas? Um, I mean, my early, tw- I, by that time, I'd kind of, I had gotten through the the really severe, severest period. But my early 20s was like extremely sad time. I was doing so much healing. And can I ask what your mental issue was? Sure. I mean, at the at the t- I think right now I have a diagnosis of depression and anxiety, but at the time it was just like a hard depression. You know, it was just mm-hmm. um, when I was little, they diagnosed me as dysthymia, which is like a mm-hmm. low grade depression, mild depression. And um, I mean, in retrospect, I think I just had a lot of things 
to heal from when I thought I was a unlovable fat child that would never amount to anything and had zero worth. And and also depression. Um, you know, there's probably some neurodivergency going on. I did not have the resources that I needed. And when I got into college, there were more resources. Um, and frankly, a Reiki healer really helped me mm. work through the brunt of my depression. My my very um, you know, suicidal ideation time. I mean, it was a Reiki healer that saved me. So say so you you atheists, say what you will about energy <laughs> healing, but I have data in my own history. That supports it as being a good thing. So, I mean, I, this is how I feel about all the healing things that are out there. If, if it, if it works for you and the intention behind it feels genuine. Yeah. And it's not harming anyone. Go for it. Give it a shot. If it calls to you, you know, you know, and I, I think the, just like there are fraudulent healers and there's fraudulent self-help gurus um, and all these things, there's also fraudulent doctors or, or shitty doctors and shitty therapists. Hello. So, you know, so so there are people that sort of ruin it for the rest. But um, uh, as somebody who also saw an energy healer it wasn't quite reiki it was it was uh i forget what she called it but uh who also saw an energy healer when i was also dealing with suicidal ideations i you know combined with many other things uh i i do believe in the power of healing all aspects but you know what you just said like struck me so hard which is the the comp the why mental health is so complicated is I'm also same diagnosis as you, uh, <laughs> shocker. Uh, and, but, I, but also full of wounds and it's like, who isn't, you know? And, and it, it's, it always is so, I don't know. I, I've, I, I don't know if this is going to come out quite the way I want it to, but I'm going to try, uh, is, you know, I'm starting to think that like being depressed and anxious is actually the norm. Absolutely. And if you're not, then that's the disorder. <laughs> Under these systems of social political life in America, if you are paying attention, you're depressed and anxious for sure. And if you're not yeah. paying attention, I do not blame you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, I wish. But it, it, yeah. But what a, but what a, what a. Mind fuck though, because I, when I do shut it all off, when I do, when I am a little bit more ignorant and, and a little bit more, you know, full of boundaries and, and whatever, and I feel better, you know, I probably could do more, but then I also want to be aware and I want to be educated. And it is this like, I, I, I really strongly encourage people like, yes, you know, be plugged in, you know, read an article here and there. Go, go to the march, whatever you got to do. But I also think it is incredibly detrimental to not only your mental health, but society to be completely aware of everything. Like there are certain topics that I don't dig to. Like I, I, I want to be educated on everything, but I also think you have to kind of pick and choose the yeah. the causes that you sort of focus on. And it doesn't mean I don't care about the other causes. Yeah. I absolutely do. But, 
you know, you're only one human who can handle so much. We're in an information age. Yeah. You know, this this has not been our mother's problem, our grandparents' problem. For us to have so much information, we are literally running out of power or processing power. Um, so it makes absolute sense what you're saying. It reminds me of what I tell people about comedy, about doing stand-up comedy, because, you know, as beautiful women in stand-up, we get approached by men of all ilks all the time <laughs> saying, hello, um, you might not believe this, but I also want to do stand-up comedy. What should I do? Oh, like, it isn't that funny? Or they say, always guys that reach out? Yeah. 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 It's hilarious. <laughs> no, I get women too. And I always tell, I always give women like so many hours of my time and, and men as little as possible, but, um, the, the, cause of the entitlement piece, but, um, I do feel that, um, when people, so when people ask me like, oh, I think I could use comedy and be, I would be like, do it. You know, if you would like to do it, you should do it. And that's kind of how I feel about, um, my capacity to be engaged with social, political, global issues is like, I wish to do this. I wish to understand Israel and Palestine. You know, I wish to understand this and I'm going to do so as much as I can today. And if I can't do it today, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll, I'll try to reach a different understanding. And then also I think there's a really healthy, you know, idea about like, I'm, I'm going to be a lifetime learner. I'm going to be a lifetime um, mm. activist. So there's plenty of time to grow as a, as an individual activist. Um, but I completely understand and, and relate. Can I just say, if you are going to reach out to a comedian for advice, because I think I have responded to some people. It, shortly you know or not at all because you can't email somebody and say how'd you get that what tell me can you introduce me to and then like they put in like a they saw that you were on a tv something and they're like can you like i don't know you like there's gotta i will give people time if they approach with you know respect and common courtesy also it was really funny because i had a few people reach out to me during the pandemic saying i want to start doing stand-up do you have any advice and i was like put on a mask and stay home <laughs> is my like i don't know i'm out of work now too um i don't know what the future is that is that to me is it's probably the hilarious. same as like everybody who's reevaluating our like all the comedians are like i gotta get my law degree or whatever and other people oh my God, are it's like so funny you said like I literally thought about getting my law degree. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm too tired. I thought about getting a degree in, uh, to be a therapist, but it's yeah. way too many years for me. But you know what, though? I, I will say this to anyone who's listening who, you know, was at all, you know, inspired or, or moved by the notion of, like, finding your voice and, like, what does that mean and, and all that stuff. You know, you can also have different avenues for your voice, you know? So I know for me, something that I've been sort of playing with is like, okay, so, you know, I, part of why I always liked the term comedian is because I feel like it umbrellas a lot of mm -hmm. things. Like you're a writer, you're a performer, you're a producer, you're a director. Like it's a lot of different stuff, right? But then when I have thought about, I don't know, let's say I did become a therapist or I did become a Reiki healer or whatever it is. I used to think that that would make me less of uh, a comedian. 
or like, oh no, like you got to like late, like uh, I'm going to bring up this woman. I brought her up on the last episode. I'm a little obsessed. Her name is Barbara Shear. I just got her book at the library. It's my first time getting a library book in the last year. It was very exciting to walk in and pick up a book. And um, she, and I just want to like, I'm going to keep talking about her, I think, on the pod, because I think what she said was so important. She she was basically saying there's nothing wrong with having multiple interests. And I think that's so important to be reminded of, because especially in this digital information age, where I feel like we are all limited to what you can fit in your bio. And you can literally say, well, I'm a comedian because it's in my bio and I'm a healer because I threw it in my bio mm. and I'm all these labels. Yeah. And, and then you sort of feel, I think people often feel kind of trapped in that brand or whatever, like all their content needs to follow under this umbrella that's in their bio. And it's like as dynamic, you know, multifaceted human beings, you can have a million interests. You can have a million jobs. You can like have a million different ways to like share your voice. Yeah. And I, I, once I re- I'm sure I'm going to bring her up many times in the podcast, but she, she died last year. And I'm oh. like so sad. Cause I feel like she's on her, I think she was in her seventies, but I feel like she's me. Like I'm going to become her and I'm just going to steal her book and rewrite it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> just kidding. If anyone's legally listening, <laughs> that was a joke. I am a comedian. Um, yeah, I think you are connecting with her energy from beyond. <laughs> like, if you if you had read this book while she was still alive, you'd been like, hmm, pretty interesting. But Barbara's like in your ear, like this is for you. I just because I I you know in listening to you say like you were in the field and you found your voice, I I just think that and again I'm probably projecting my own experience more so. So again, maybe I should call my therapist instead of being on a podcast, my own podcast at that, um, which is great because I can edit out whatever I want. I. Um, I think that people spend a lot of time trying to find purpose and they often associate purpose with a job title. Mm. And, and what you said about comedy, I loved so much because you were like, you know, you want to f- have a voice and say things and, 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 you know, we were, talking about the, we were talking about the blood and the meat. That's all sort of related to this. Like, it's sort of like you want to express fiercely, and and that to me is like such a more I don't know exciting goal than like I want to have a half hour special on Comedy Central. Or you know, I like I'm be an wrong with her, and I want to speak the the words of men who have been dead for five hundred years. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that that was what I picked, and um, that was a really that was a really weird thing. To pick. Yeah. Yeah. Being a straight, I mean, it's something that I really enjoy. I really like acting because it's like play, you know, it's a playtime. It's like, you know, freak out, yeah. embody this weird thing, you know, and it feels really normal to me. Um, but when you start to really think about it, it's pretty weird and <laughs> it's not not it, it's not very authentic like it and that's why i think like a lot of the, the times you know we we speak to actors and you're like oh boy is anything going on in there like just kind of many actors are listening i i'm sure you're different um well, I mean, like a career actor who's just been saying other people's words and maybe not finding their own voice right where you're like mm-hmm. oh man you're so used to being a vessel that you know, I, I wonder where that instinct to speak on behalf of yourself goes or like what you 
how I'm sure there's a way for you to connect with your like yourself and your identity and your story. And I, I think, you know, a lot of actors write and things like that, too. Um, but yeah, important. Yeah. Well, I loved this. I feel like, you know, if anyone's listening who is looking for some answers, get a tarot deck. Go to a field. I did a tarot. This I, I had. I usually sometimes in the mornings I'll just pick up the deck and a card will fall out and I'm like, "That's the card," and it's always fucking spot on. Ooh, the fallout card. Love it. Yeah, I love it. I don't count my fallout cards because I'm like, because mm, that's just me. Like I'm just like, mm, no, it must be intentionally grabbed. So like I shuffle until I want to shuffle no more, and then I pull a card every morning to kind of get centered and. um and yeah, it's been it's it's a good practice, and it it helps you learn the cards really fast too. Um, yeah, and I I will give a tarot resource right here that is the tarot resource that got me into it, which is called Crystal Clear Reflections, and it is a book and website that has been updated since I was thirteen years old. For some reason, oh. it's still on the internet, and um. I emailed them once and it's like this woman who lives in Kentucky or something. And I have no idea why, but she has the best tarot card descriptions. I love that. I, I use a uh, bitty yeah. tarot. Um, find her very thorough. I got her book. Yeah. I'm just doing a lot of, my husband's not that into it. I'm always like, can I do your cards? He's like, uh, <laughs> not for him. <laughs> Same over here, by the way, it's not. I know. I do feel like one of these days I am going to wake up in the middle of the night to like get a glass of water and he's going to have like candles lit and it's going to be doing tarot and being like, oh, I thought you were asleep. Um, my guy burns uh, sage and Palo Santo around the house now. Oh, my God. It's really nice. Mine nonstop. Wow. I mean, he stops because also we have a child and you're really not supposed to burn that stuff around them. But he ha- I, I've said this before. He has more crystals than I do. I knew that I was in love with my husband when we were going through airport security years ago. <laughs> And he had to empty his pockets and he took out fists full of crystals. And this is before we lived in LA. And I was like, this is so hot. Fistfuls of crystals? Yeah. He usually, I think he has about five on him at all times. That sounds yeah. like a, a very good uh, spaghetti Western with fistfuls of, scri- of crystals. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Bree, is there anything you want to let folks know to, you know, look for you know i'm i'm on all the social platforms as at brie pruitt it's brie with an i pruitt with an ett and i have this podcast i put it out every wednesday it's my whole heart i have an episode with julia i have an episode with many other um, comedians and performers and we just talk about something that my guest is struggling with and i try to make them feel better about it and i've decided when i i think when i had you on i was still doing how to do it with Brie Pruitt. Like I keep, I'm giving people advice, but now I'm just going to listen and enjoy more. So that's my pledge. Real. I loved, I felt really good after I wrote down, I wrote down what you said to me and I actually keep it on my desk. And I'll, it's, you said, instead of validation, seek collaboration. Yes. And I put it on a post-it and then um, you said, this is hard because I'm good and that I need to rest. Oh, yes. So I usually end the show without the guest on and I give like a little, um, you know, a resource or sometimes my sister comes on who's a therapist and she'll give some like insight. But I actually think 
because I just shared something that you said that was really helpful, I'm just going to end the podcast there and give everyone the advice that you gave me when I was on your show, which was instead of validation, seek collaboration. So the next time, basically what it was, was that the next time that you are looking for others to make you feel better about yourself, which very much goes back to what we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast, um, maybe what you're actually seeking out is people to connect with and and work on things with and share ideas with. And you're actually not looking for compliments. You're looking for um, connection. Your coven. For your coven. Yes. I could join another one, I guess. Um, Thank you so much, Brie, for being on the show. Thank you so much to anyone listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, And please, please send in. um, My sister and I want to do a special episode where we answer your breakdown, your breakthrough questions, thoughts. So please email shouldigetbangspod at gmail if you want to share anything. And that's it. Bye.